league table, a red herring? Should we be thinking about disaggregation and other questions and ideas as we go forward? At the end, we'll have a question and discussion session because after all, this is the low carbon best practice exchange. And we need your ideas, your experiences, just as much as your comments and your questions. So let me start off with, is CRC a game? Well, you can win a prize. If you get to the top of the performance league table in the first year, you get a 10% bonus. By year five, it's 50%. If you don't get to the top, if you crash to the bottom, well, you pay a penalty. But I don't know that it's as friendly as a game might be, because if you decide you don't want to take part, when you really should, there are penalties and there are all sorts of sanctions. You don't have the option, basically. The more I do research into this topic, what I thought was a fairly lightweight type of tax, I begin to believe that the quotation from that uh, football manager all those years ago, when he said, life and death? It's not a matter of life and death. It's far more serious than that. I think that's beginning to sum up CRC. So, what is CRC? It's a mandatory carbon reduction and energy efficiency scheme to change behavior and infrastructure. To change behavior and infrastructure. It is not just another tax. It is not just a question of saying, oh, well, all right, we'll pay some money and it'll go away. It will, as we shall see, it will lead you to change behavior and to change your infrastructure. It is far more important than I think many of us realized when it first came out all those months ago. What I'd like to do, first of all, is just run very quickly through the background, which most of you, I'm sure, are more than familiar with. So who's liable? Any organization with mandatory half-hourly metering of electricity. Half-hourly metering, of course, is the smart meter, the AMR, which feeds back to your supplier. It records your consumption every half an hour, and your, uh, your bill is settled on the half-hourly meter, on the half-hourly market. A mandatory half-hourly meter, you have to have one of these meters if your peak load at any time is more than 100 kilowatts. Anybody who used more than 6,000 megawatt hours of electricity in 2008 is a full participant. That's calendar 2008. That's the only calendar year in the whole of the scheme. The rest of it is fiscal years. Anybody who's between 3,000 and 6,000 has to make a report. Anybody who has still got a smart meter but's below uh, 3,000 also they also have to register. But we're talking principally here about participants because the people below the participation threshold have to do very little beyond registration. There are, of course, exceptions when you come to work out what your electricity consumption was in 2008. Anything that's already covered by the uh, EU emissions trading scheme, by the climate change agreement, any electricity you've used for transport, that drops out. And who's responsible? Well, in the corporate world, the responsibility lies at the parent company. The parent company has to aggregate everything together and report it to the scheme administrator. By the way, how many people, how many organizers, or how many people here represent organizations that are full participants? 
a large proportion. How many have not yet come to the conclusion, done the research to find out where they are? Okay, and how many just don't care? Well, they wouldn't come, would they? All right, so it's the commercial groups, it's the head office. If you've seen the latest um, newsletter from the Environment Agency, you'll see that some major organizations, which are subsidiaries, are registering already, and that's against the rules. We will talk about disaggregation in a moment, but disaggregation requires the parent company to register first. So the parent is responsible. As far as the public sector is concerned, major public organizations, local authorities, hospitals, schools, universities, they are all responsible. There is a designated list of all the organizations within the public sector which are responsible. And there's another, perhaps a side issue, which is the responsibility lies with the counterparty to the supply contract. I'm sure that phrase will be familiar to some people who've tripped over it. We'll come to that in just a moment. But before we go on to that, the summary is it's the parent company, it's designated units within the public sector, and this counterparty. But I mentioned disaggregation. What's disaggregation? First of all, you have a different deadline. If you are considering disaggregation, you have to register your whole group at the top level by the 30th of June. Here we are, halfway through the registration period. You only have till the end of this month to register your organization if you want to take advantage of disaggregation. And the individual units that have been split out as a result of disaggregation then have to register in their own right by the 30th of September. The ruling appears to be that you've got to get your global registration in by the 30th of June in order to leave time for the subsidiary units to get their registration in by the 30th of September. There are different rules for the public sector and I think there's probably going to be more disaggregation in the public sector simply because of the scale of operations than we may see in the majority of private sector. Disaggregation. So if you have a group headquarters and that group headquarters has got three SGUs or significant group undertakings, in this example you've got 6,000 megawatt hours in SGU number one and that puts you in the frame that means, of course, that the group headquarters has got to do a report not just for that SGU, but for the whole group. And in due course has to carbon footprint the whole group and has to pay for allowances for the whole group. So if you can disaggregate, you can get rid of SGU number two and send it away to register on its own behalf. And number three, send that away to register on its own behalf. And that leaves you with the headquarters and the big SGU, which is at 6,000 megawatt hours. You cannot disaggregate to the extent that you remove all the units and therefore you drop out of the scheme. You've got to leave at least 6,000 megawatts. Now, why would you do this? Well, I can see in the public sector you might want to do it simply because of the scale. Because things are so enormous, you want to spread the responsibility and let individual units do their own thing. From this example, and I know there's controversy, but what I feel this would allow is the two SGUs which I've identified, which are down at 2,000 megawatt hours, 
All they would have to do, if they have smart meters, is register the fact, and they would not be incorporated in the, in the system. So therefore, you wouldn't have to buy allowances for them, you wouldn't have to carbon footprint them, and you wouldn't have to uh, report on them. Not now. Phase two may change things. Yes, this counterparty to the uh, supply contract, that's an issue which is going to affect certain people. It's the landlord and tenant issue. The landlord is responsible if the landlord actually pays the bill and then provides the electricity onto the tenant, then the landlord is responsible for doing the CRC return and buying the allowances and everything else, which puts landlords perhaps in a kind of difficult position because they don't necessarily have any control at all about how much electricity or uh, fuel of any kind, energy, that their tenants use. And the landlord, of course, is also responsible for footprinting those operations. Could be difficult. So that is a very special case. Some of you may come across it. There's another one which is similar, which of course is the franchise and franchisee issues. The franchise holder is responsible for the carbon footprinting and the reporting for the whole franchise group, even though by definition individual franchisees are independent businesses. That, as I say, is a special case. It won't affect everybody, but uh, I'm quite sure those of you whom it does affect will be taking legal advice because it's a difficult situation. The timescale, as I said, we're halfway through the registration timescale. We're halfway there. We've got till the 30th of September. How many people have completed their registration so far? Fantastic. Well done. But it's not a majority by any means. You have got 12, 14 weeks. And there are penalties if you don't actually get it in on time. And as I said, if you're thinking of disaggregation, you've got two and a bit weeks to get it in. Full registration, it's done online, of course. It involves identifying a responsible officer, usually a director, who is personally responsible for your participation in the CRC scheme. In the public sector, it's a mandated officer who will be named on the form and identified with all his contact details. You have to list all the smart meters, the half-hourly meters that you have, quoting their meter registration numbers, and you have to list all the electricity that you received through them in 2008. And that is registration. But really, that's the easy bit. Because now we have to measure our carbon footprint. When we look at the qualification year, 2008, to determine whether we are actually participants or not, we are looking solely at electricity consumption. But when we are looking in detail at our carbon footprint for the base year, for the um, year 2010-11, we are looking at the emissions from all sorts of fuels. Most organizations, that will be electricity and gas, and you've got to account for at least 90% of your carbon footprint. Electricity and gas may cover that, but in some cases you may have to look at fuel oil, coal, and other sorts of fuels. You have to determine the consumption during this year, 2010-11. You should already have systems in place to allow you to monitor your consumption. You should have been monitoring your consumption 
from the 1st of April this year. Strictly, it's a legal requirement. In practice, I don't think anyone's going to ask the question until the end of 2010-11. But in practice, if you're not doing it already, when you come to the end of March next year, you're going to find it very, very difficult to get your report done, which we'll talk about in a moment. So you have to determine the consumption in kilowatt hours, in tons, in cubic feet. Uh, it just depends what you're actually using. You have to convert it and calculate your CO2 emissions. You do that with a, with a conversion factor. It's very important that you do that with the right conversion factor. Because if you go to the DEFRA website and you look for conversion factors, they'll tell you the CO2 equivalent of gas and electricity and oil and petrol and coal and all the rest. If you go to the Environment Agency website, you'll find conversion tables there too. And they're different, but they are the right ones. So do use the right conversion factors. Because remember, if we have a question, sir. Is that so? Kilowatt hours. Okay, all right. You may be correct. If you look at the guidance notes, at the back there, is, there are several conversion tables which will start from kilowatt hours and convert to CO2, but you may well be right. The thing about this is that we are all on the threshold of a completely new system. Nobody has done it yet, not as far as reporting is concerned, because the first reports aren't until next year. And things have changed and continue to change. Originally, when I started doing this, I was saying to people, look out for your CRC forms in the post in September. Well, of course, that's all gone by the board. There aren't any forms. It's all done online. So you may well be right that by the time we actually get to re reporting, that's what we'll be doing. As I said, we adjust for exclusions because just as there are exemptions in terms of looking at the threshold criteria for actually coming into the scheme, equally there are exemptions in terms of what you have to report for your carbon footprint. Your carbon footprint determines your CRC liability. It determines how many well, it determines how many allowances you have to purchase. And your first footprint year is 2010-11. This current year started on the 1st of April, or possibly on the 6th, because it's a financial year. We have to look at the emissions from all fuels. It's the basis for the first phase, which, as you know, goes on for three years. It's the basis for the first phase. In April 2011, you have to buy some allowances. In April 2011, you can buy allowances from the government. They will be available at £12 a tonne. If later on you find you've got too many, you can sell them or you can hold them for use in future periods. But you can only hold these allowances until the end of the first phase, because at the end of the first phase, they will become worthless. So you need to purchase your allowances in April 2011, but your allowances that you're purchasing in April 2011 are to cover your consumption in 1112. And you won't know what it is. You can only make an estimate. That is why it is essential that you are monitoring your carbon footprint now so that by April 2011, you will have a clear yardstick to give you an idea of what you're going to consume in 1112. 
so that you can buy the right amount of allowances because you don't necessarily want to buy too many and you don't want to buy too few. That won't be so serious in the first year, but it'll become more serious as we go forward. We'll see. In any case, you've got to make a footprint report in the 29th, on the 29th of July, or by the 29th of July, 2011. Your carbon footprint. So you're going to need to know what your carbon footprint was for 2010-11. You have to produce an evidence pack. Your evidence pack is your audit trail. This proves why your carbon footprint is what you say it is. This is a director's responsibility, or a mandated officer's responsibility. It's got his or her name on it. It's not like financial accounts, in that they are audited every year, but 20% of these evidence packs will be audited. And if there's an error of more than plus or 5%, plus or minus 5%, there will be penalties. And the penalties at the moment are related to your emissions, and instead of paying £12 a tonne, if you've under-reported and have to buy more, you'll be charged £40 a tonne. So this is quite a tough game, really, isn't it? You have to report your emissions in July, finalise your evidence pack for the year just completed, submit your annual report, Previously, you were going to have to surrender allowances. That's why it's crossed out, because you don't. The previous plan was that in 2011, you were not only going to have to buy allowances for the coming year, you were also going to have to buy allowances for the preceding year. Now you don't have to buy any for the preceding year, therefore you don't have to surrender any. So you just have to issue your report, and that will define your baseline. And you have to have that done by the 29th of July, 2011. Now let's talk about the CRC League table. On the basis of your consumption, on the basis of the report that you make next July, you will be assigned a position on the CRC League table. Now in addition to that, there will be factors which will improve or um, reduce your position on that. There's the early action metric, there's the absolute metric, and there's the growth metric. If we talk first about the early action metric, there are two elements to this. There's the carbon trust standard, and there are voluntary AMRs. Let me talk first about the carbon trust standard, which is a standard authenticated by the carbon trust. Basically, what you have to do is you have to demonstrate to the Carbon Trust that you have systems in place which lead to improved use of energy or reductions in the use of energy. They need to have evidence that you've had these systems and procedures in place for at least 12 months and that they have been effective. And on the basis of that, you can get uh, Carbon Trust standard accreditation. And when you've got Carbon Trust Standard Accreditation, then that counts in your favour insofar as the league table is calculated. Excuse me a moment. <coughs> now the good news is 
that you have up to and including the 31st of March next year to get your carbon trust, your carbon trust standard. So if you haven't got it already, it's not too late. And if you get it on the 31st of March, you still get a full year's allowance. You still get a full year's allowance. So it's worth looking into, insofar as the league table is worth looking into, and we'll come to that in a moment. But I wanted also to talk about voluntary AMRs, automatic meter reading, half-hourly meters, which are not fiscal meters, well, half-hourly meters which you are putting in yourself, not the ones that you're bound to put in. Now, on the one hand, it looks like a good idea, but there are two major pitfalls. First of all, if you have this organization, which has a mandatory half-hourly meter at the front gate, which is why it's a participant in uh, the carbon reduction commitment, then you might think it's a good idea to improve your knowledge of energy consumption across the organization by putting in some voluntary AMRs. So this organization's put in three of them. But they are submeters. They are simply analyzing the energy which has come in through the main meter at the front door. And although they're exactly the same as your half-hourly meters, although they are feeding back information which you can read on the web or whatever, because they're submeters, and because there's a risk of double counting, you do not get any credit. They are of no benefit as far as the early action metric is concerned. On the other hand, if you have a similar organization with its half-hourly meter at the front door, but it's got three separate sites which are relatively low users of power and therefore do not have mandatory half-hourly metering, if you go to your supplier and say, I would like to have half-hourly metering, and your supplier puts meters in at those separate sites, and they are fiscal meters and they are used for billing, and it's settled on the half-hourly market, then those meters will give you benefit as far as the league table is concerned. Sir? Are you asking me or telling me? Uh, I'm not certain, but the, the point was that do these meters have to be settled on the half-hourly meter or is it sufficient that they are half-hourly smart meters? I'm not certain, but it's a, it's a good point. Um, but I would assume they have to be because they have to be the meter on which the billing is calculated. And if they're half-hourly meters, it makes sense that they will be actually settled on the half-hourly market. So I would think that that, that is the case. But if your supplier will give you a bill on those meters and they actually, it's a different tariff, then I'm sure that will still count. Thank you. How many do you need to make it count? To make them count? We've got, you know, rather, you can say, three half hour meters and a whole load of small ones. How many small ones do you need to add to that to make it? It depends on the proportion of electricity that, is, that goes through these meters. Is that written down somewhere? Yes. Yes. Um, what I'm going to do after this, I'm going to provide notes with links and further information. So if you would like me to email that to you, if you leave your business card on the table as you go out, then I will make sure you get that. But yes, as we will see, it is the amount of electricity that goes through those meters, not only in terms of the proportion of your enterprise, which is covered by that, but also in terms of the time. Now, I just said that if you get your carbon trust standard, even as late as the 31st of March next year, you get a full year's credit. 
But if you haven't got your, uh, your voluntary AMRs in yet, you are going to get a smaller amount of benefit. So, for example, if you don't get them in until the 1st of July, you will only get three quarters of a year because it is the actual amount of electricity that goes through those meters that goes into the calculation. And the earlier you can put them in, the more benefit you'll get. If you leave them till the 31st of March, you certainly won't get any benefit in the first year, and I'm not quite sure whether you will in the second, but maybe you will. So that's the pitfalls of AMRs. Those are the early action metrics, the voluntary AMRs and the carbon trust standard. In subsequent years, there's the absolute metric and the growth metric. The absolute metric gives you no benefit at all in the first year because the absolute metric is simply saying how different is this year's consumption from the base year? And the first year is the base year, so that's why there is no calculation. If you have used less electricity, clearly, or less, if you have got less emissions, fewer emissions, then you will get a better ranking on the table. And as you can see, the effect of this is weighted. It doesn't exist in the first year. It's weighted 45% in the second and 60% in the third. And then there's the growth metric, which is similar. The growth metric is basically a measure of efficiency because you may come along and say, yeah, I know, I've actually used more energy, I've got a bigger carbon footprint in year two than I had in year one, but my turnover is dramatically increased. So in fact, my efficiency, my units of emissions in proportion to my output has fallen. So that is recognized in the growth metric. So that, in later years, goes into the calculation. Uh, it's based simply on turnover. In the public sector, sorry, in the private sector, it's based on turnover, simply on pounds turnover. And in the public sector, it's based on revenue spend excluding capital spend. Well, revenue spend excludes capital spend. Okay. That's, 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 to, that's your comparator of economic activity from year to year. Okay. So, revenue recycling. As we said, in April 2011, the government is having a public sale of carbon allowances. And you can buy as many tons as you like for £12 each. All that money goes into a fund, and in October, it's paid back. And it's paid back with a bonus or a penalty, depending on where you happen to be on the league table. It could be a 10% bonus or penalty. By year five, it could be a 50% bonus or penalty. Now, I want to pose the question, is the league table a red herring? Let's look at some figures. If you are using 6,000 megawatt hours, this is the bottom level for being a participant, and the figures are not so important as the percentages. If you're using 6,000 megawatt hours of electricity per annum at 10p a unit, it's going to cost you £600,000 a year. And by the way, if you're paying more than 10p a unit, see me afterwards. I know a man who may be able to help you. 6,000 megawatt hours, and this is just electricity, multiplied by the Environment Agency factor 
is 3,246 tonnes of CO2. And 3,246 tonnes of CO2 at 12 pounds a tonne is 38,952 pounds. So you will have to lay out 38,952 pounds from April until October. So the major impact of this, initially at least, is a cash flow impact, because although interest rates are not particularly high, that doesn't mean that cash is readily available. It's money which has got to be transferred across the government when you buy your allowances. That £38,952 is 6.5% of your total energy bill. And you may get a maximum penalty of 10% of that, which is £3,895. It's less than 1% of 600000 Now, if it were as simple as that, then I would say it is a red herring. Why should we bother if we're just going to be penalised by such a relatively small amount? Because surely we should be spending our time much more profitably on looking to make savings on our energy consumption. Because if you can save 5% off your bill, and most organisations can, unless they've been working very hard for a long time on being super efficient, if you can save 5% off your bill, you've saved vastly more than that. Many organisations can save 10%, 20%. Some cases, 30%. So maybe that's where you should be looking. No, we'll go back from there. <clears throat> so let's go back to the league table. Is it a red herring? Well, when you buy your allowances, when you buy your allowances in 2011, you're buying enough to cover the forthcoming year. And you don't know how much you're really going to need. You don't know what the winter's going to be like. And if we have another winter like last winter, then your uh, estimates could be way off. And if we have a very mild winter, the same could apply. So what happens? Well, you have to buy allowances either through the safety valve mechanism or on the open market. So you get to April next year. No, you don't. You get to April the year after. You get to April the year after. That's the end of year two. And you then know how much your carbon emissions are. You then know whether you have a surplus or shortfall against what you bought a year earlier. You have to buy through the safety valve mechanism or on the open market. If you buy through the safety valve mechanism, the money, the, um, the allowances are backed up with um, carbon credits on the emissions trading scheme. In other words, the, the European standard, the open market price. Now, at the moment, it's about 15 euros for a tonne of carbon, which isn't much more than 12 pounds. But who knows what it's going to be the year after next. If you buy it on the secondary market, if there are people like you who bought a lot more than they needed, they can sell them, and they can sell them for whatever the market will bear. The important thing to remember is, if you buy through the safety valve mechanism, if you buy on the secondary market, that money has gone. The, money, the, the allowances that you buy in the first place in April 2011 go into the recycling pot and they come back in greater or lesser proportion to the people involved. But if you have to buy extras to meet your carbon footprint, that's gone. 
That is another reason why it is so important to do everything you can to forecast accurately what your carbon footprint is going to be. And obviously it makes sense to do everything you can to reduce your carbon footprint so that you don't have to buy all these allowances. As I said, if it was really simple and your penalty was either 10% or your bonus was 10%, then the league table might be seen to be a bit of an irrelevance. I have worked long and hard to try and find out exactly how the league table is calculated. I'm sure we've all contacted CRC Help and we get that email saying, your inquiry is important to us. We will respond within 10 days. And then you get another one saying, a lot of other people are inquiring as well. I actually got the answer yesterday. I also got the answer from a forum on LinkedIn. If there's anybody on LinkedIn, I would recommend look at the LinkedIn forum on the carbon reduction commitment. There's some very savvy people there and they respond almost immediately. Um, Two Degrees also has a forum. There are many forums on the internet and there are quite a lot of very qualified people out there who will give you your answers. Anyway, this is the answer that I got. And the reason I couldn't find it, despite searching the Environment Agency's site, was it's on the Department of, the Department of Energy and Climate Change site. Now, it's a series of presentations, of graphs. I will include the link in the documentation that I send out afterwards. But let me just read through the main points so you're clear on exactly how the league table and the recycling payments are calculated. Step one. Calculate the participant's percentage contribution to the total baseline emissions. In other words, they add together all the carbon footprints of everybody that participates in this scheme. They look at your organisation and they say that's 0.0013 or whatever it is, percent. So that's the first stage. Step two. Calculate participants' early action metric score based on Carbon Trust Standard and AMR, then rank in order. So, that's taken into the equation. Step three. Calculate total sales revenue for the reporting year. By that they mean the revenue that the government has received for the sale of allowances which takes place each April. So that's basically the fund that they've got available to pay back. Step four. This is where it starts getting a bit difficult. But step four says, calculate a participant's size coefficient for the reporting year, percentage of baseline emissions multiplied by range of maximum bonus penalty range. Okay, still with me? Step five, determine the upper boundary of participant's size coefficient R. NB need to be ranked in league table order. Okay. Step six. Calculate applicable bonus penalty by subtracting size coefficient midpoint from R value. Step seven. Calculate recycling payment percentage of baseline times revenue raised times bonus or penalty. And there it is. It's not as simple as I first thought, or possibly as many people thought. And looking through this, what they've done here is they've said, here's a market, there's only 10 companies in it, these are the different things that they
thousand pounds. I have had not had time to try and get into the bottom of the mathematics of this. Um, as I say, I only got it yesterday afternoon. But it's interesting. And I immediately thought, well, how on earth do they manage to get away with not buying any allowances at all? Well, of course, they may have said that they, well, basically, they, would, they gambled on the price at the safety valve or on the open market. And they bought the allowances they needed at the very last minute when they knew exactly how much they needed so they didn't have to buy too many or too few. That's the only way they can do it. And yet, without actually contributing to the pot, they've got a bonus. Some people have said, some people who've had more time to look at this than me perhaps, some people have said that this is simply a mechanism for funneling money from small companies to big ones. When people get to, if people agree with that, I think there will certainly be quite a lot of controversy. We'll see, we'll see. The other aspect, of course, is the PR value of your position on the league table. And I initially thought, well, for goodness sake, the CRC league table, is that going to make the front page of the news of the world? Is it going to make more than a couple of column inches in anything other than The Guardian? But I went to an event last Tuesday, and that was addressed by a guy called Mark Alvin, who is the energy manager from ASDA. And somebody asked him the question, if Tesco come higher up the performance league table than you do, what happens? He said, I'll lose my job. Well, it wasn't altogether serious. But it is quite clear that if Tesco does come up higher than Sainsbury's and Asda and Morrison's, they're certainly going to make a fuss about it. And Sainsbury's and Asda and Morrison's are going to have a lot of incentive either to refute it or to do better next time. And I'm quite sure that'll affect your organisations, whatever sector you're in, the sector press, the people who know will be looking to see where you are because the people who are at the top are going to make a fuss about it and that will put the spotlight on you if you're not. So, yeah, it's not really a red herring at all, I don't think. Uh, well, so far we've been talking about the first phase. You've registered or you're preparing to register for the first phase. How are we doing? Yes. But, of course, you've got to register for the second phase in April next year. You've got to register for the second phase. Now, that gives you an opportunity, of course, to correct any anomalies because your corporate structure may have changed dramatically. You may be a completely different organisation by now. What will happen is that the registrar will actually copy across the information that you've done on this first year's registration, and it's up to you next year to go and correct it. And then, of course, there are organisations which might have, got, might have got an awful lot bigger since 2008, and they will suddenly come into the scheme as participants. So the qualification year is 2010-11. So 2010-11 is the qualification year for the second phase. It's also the base year for the first phase. So there's registration for those who aren't already in. There's re-registration. The capped phase, of course, it all changes. There's no supply of carbon allowances at £12 a tonne. It's for sale by auction. And there is quite a complicated auction system. You can make a number of offers. And you can say, if I can have this many, I'll pay that much. And if I can have that many, I'll have that much. I'll pay that much. And if I can only have these, I'm only going to pay that. It's really going to be a bloodbath out there. There will still be a recycling payment. 
because the government will sell off the first round, but they'll do it by this auction. And again, if you find you haven't actually bought enough, you can't use any you've got left over from the first phase, because they don't count. You've got to buy some on the open market, or you've got to buy some through the safety valve mechanism. And remember, those don't go into the recycling pot. That is dead money. Early action, of course, is no longer relevant, but I think as far as the league table, which goes forward in the second phase, as far as the league table is concerned, there will be still an absolute metric and a growth metric. So I think that this is not a game. It is much more serious than that. We need, if we haven't already started, if we haven't already got ahead with it, we need detailed preparation, detailed planning, detailed monitoring, not just monitoring what our carbon footprint is going to be, but we also need to broaden the requirement throughout the whole organisation because everybody needs to focus on our management of our carbon footprint. And that's why I've put in this slide about sustainability, about taking the long view, because this whole thing is part of helping the government achieve its commitment to a 35% reduction in emissions by 2020, which is only 10 years off, which on average means this year you've got to reduce your energy, your absolute energy, by 3.5%, and next year by 3.5%, and so on and so on and so on, to get that 35 by 2020. You need to ask yourself, what will my business look like in 2020 if I've got to use 35% less energy? Now, the airlines say, oh, it doesn't matter because everybody else is going to make reductions. But I don't believe that personally. Your business model may have to be radically re-engineered. Your products may have to be changed. The way in which you deliver your services may have to be altered. Because make no mistake, as a result of this, there are going to be winners and there are going to be losers. And the winners are those who take the longer view and those who really understand the implications of CRC. Change. Radical change. Questions, comments? Please. I don't specifically know, and I don't know whether there is a specific format, but I think it would just follow normal accounting rules that you've got to be able to follow an audit trail so that if you have a particular figure in a particular box, you know where it's come from and you can go back and you can relate it perhaps to an energy bill or, or to something like that. No, I don't think they'll ask for source data to be, to be submitted at all. But of course, if they actually send the auditors in, and one in five will be audited, then those auditors will actually go and, if necessary, look at source documents. I feel that although at the moment it's going to be government auditors who do this, I think it's logical that the accountancy profession should take it on and do it part, as part of the annual statutory financial audit. But uh, nobody's made any suggestions apart from me uh, on that at the moment. This gentleman and then that gentleman. Yes, sir. Yeah.
registration for the headquarters company, you need to take into account all the subsidiaries. Yeah. Then Well, when you register the whole thing, including all the subsidiaries, then the, the targets and the responsibilities all funneled up to the one headquarters. Yeah, the subsidiaries have to report through the HQ, and you are the interface with the, uh, with the registrar, with the CRC scheme. As I say, it may be simpler for organizational reasons, or possibly it may be possible to get certain parts completely out of the system by disaggregating. But unless you've registered the complete organization by the end of this month, then you're not allowed, in the first phase anyway, to, uh, to disaggregate. Maybe you'll be able to for the second phase, I'm not sure. And I believe there are separate um, rules for the, uh, for the public sector. They have a, long, a, a lot longer than the 30th of September to, to complete it. So. You're right. Yes, you're quite right. Yes. Yes, it only applies to your operations in the UK, and people may argue that it makes them uneconomic, so therefore push your activity offshore. Yeah, that might happen. That might happen. And equally, I honestly believe that some people are going to say, when they realise the impact that this is going to have, some people are going to say, it's the government. They are stifling economic growth. We won't stand for it. Now, the government probably can probably stand firm for a couple of years because we're five years off an election. But it'll be very, very interesting to see what happens. But yeah, offshoring, it's an inevitable consequence. Yeah. Mergers and acquisitions and major government departmental changes. If you have had mergers and acquisitions and departmental changes since 2008, then that, as far as I can understand, is not taken into account. The structure or, or the... Because what we're talking about in 2008 is simply how much your group used in terms of electricity. And that ticks the box uh, to say whether or not you're a participant. So you may be in the unfortunate situation where in 2008 you were a massive energy user and things have happened in the subsequent years, so you're not using very much at all. But you would still have to be in the scheme. What you're doing in 2008 doesn't affect anything to do with the league table or your allowances or anything else. What you're actually doing in 2010-11 is the base year for calculating your position in the league table and all that sort of thing. But then, when you get to re-registering Next year, for the uh, second phase, at that point, you can change your structure. You can bring it up to date. So, I mean, I'm from the hospital trust. Yeah, um, okay. In 2008, we were two different trusts. We are now one trust. And also, we're flogging off half our, our property as well, so we won't have the same estate. Well, if you look at the document which the, uh, energy, uh, the Environment Agency has prepared, there are a lots of different scenarios. We've got a subsidiary, we haven't got a subsidiary, this has changed, that has changed. So, as I say, <coughs> excuse me, there's a number of, documentation, uh, of documents. There's am I in registering, annual reporting, and things like that. I'll give you the web links to all of those, and hopefully there's a scenario in there that'll help you. There's not, you've seen it, you've looked. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm 
in that case, I think you, you really have to get a ruling from the Environment Agency or somebody like that. And I think there's going to be an awful lot of people looking for rulings because we're breaking new ground. And because when you look at all these organisations which are participants, they are so different. That's it. Well, I suppose if they do disaggregate, yes. Uh, the original estimate, of course, was 5,000. I've no idea what disaggregation will mean. Now, I think I heard that so far only 277 organisations have registered. If that's the case, the scope for disaggregation is very, very limited because we've only got two weeks to go in, unless all the ones that want to disaggregate are the ones who've done it early. Anybody here thinking of disaggregating? No? Okay. Um, there's going to be an awful lot of um, questions and answers. And incidentally, uh, again, if you read the Environment Agency uh, newsletter on this, there are mistakes and errors and problems, uh, not least some people have confused kilowatt hours with megawatt hours, which is a factor of a thousand. I just hope they're not in, I just hope they're not in charge of the profits. But, um, and that's just registration for goodness sake. When it comes to carbon footprinting, God knows what will come out. Sir? Uh, any information I have no information on that at all, but I would expect it to come down. I honestly would. Because when they launched this, when the minister launched this, trumpeting the fact that we're going to save four million tonnes of CO2 emissions per year by this, well, four million tonnes in the context, context of 630 million tonnes is no big deal. So if they're going to meet their targets, they're going to have to bring that right down. And you may be aware that in, uh, in the Companies Act 2006, but not in force until 2012, there is a requirement for all limited companies, and I believe regardless of size, to incorporate a carbon footprint report in their annual accounts. So if that isn't preparation for spreading this down and down and down, I don't know what is. Sir? The um, AMR Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Um, and given that 2010-11 is your base year, I'm not quite sure whether the amount of electricity that goes through them in that year is a base factor which will cover years two and three, or whether it'll be reassessed in year two and again in, in, in year three. So uh, it's pitfalls, isn't it? It's full of pitfalls. Yes. Yes. But you do need to look at the calculation and you do need to ask yourself, is it worth it? And I think it's probably better, uh, and I've got an axe to grind here, I think it's probably better to put in smart submeters, super smart meters, which give you far more information and help you change your consumption pattern rather than put these in which will just tick a few boxes and change things a bit on your uh, league table position. It's only for the first phase after all. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Yes. Yes, that's a good point. If you have, um, if you have gas meters, and you put in AMR gas meters, they will also count towards the early action metric. So don't neglect them. Any yes, a question at the back, sir.
riddle room in the later phases around our emissions. What we're concerned about is if we have an operational reason why, for instance, our fleet emissions go up by 10% for operational reasons. Say, God forbid, there's a terrorist attack somewhere and our emissions in that year go up. Is there any way of explaining to the wider community you know, why our emissions are not going down and they're going up? Well, I think the growth metric would account for that. If you're actually providing um, a greater level of service because, as you say, there may be a terrorist attack or some heightened level of emergency, so you have to deploy more people and you have to put more um, um, officers on the road, then I would have thought that the growth metric would, um, would, would cover that. Well, yes, it's a change in the level of activity, isn't it? Um, and the question is, are you, I mean, how do you measure it? I mean, at the moment, the measure is only in terms of money, only in terms of expenditure. Uh, if, if you say it's in terms of units, then every single industry, every single organization is going to have a different sort of yardstick. Is it, is it, uh, is it bed days in the, in the health sector? Is it uh, widgets in the manufacturing sector? Is it miles or, or policemen hours on the beat, you know? It gets incredibly complicated. Well, you could be increasing your uh, revenue, annual revenue, because yeah. you're inefficient, couldn't you? You could be increasing it because you're inefficient, yes. Yes. Well, if you increase it because you're inefficient, then your carbon footprint will go up possibly even more. But if you increase it by, say, 10%, but your carbon footprint only goes up by 5%, then clearly you are being more efficient, aren't you? Yeah. So it's, yeah, if you can demonstrate efficiency, that's the, then you'll benefit from the growth metric. Any other points? Well, thank you all very much for your attention. Uh, I, as I said, I've got another session at the end of the day, which is a round table session, and I think some of you are in on that. That will be a discussion session. I will gather the notes from that. I will add notes from what I've said to you this morning. I'll give you links to those documents. Um, so please leave the business cards. Thank you. Have a good day.